Hello friends, welcome to one more episode brought to you by Share the Well. Chris and I continue our conversation around God and the things of God and theology and Calvinism and uh, Chris's take on Calvinism um, or his disagreement with Calvinism and, um, you know, his um, uh, thoughts and ideas and, and what he's read and how he kind of sees the world. And one thing we agree on is to love human beings as God has loved. I mean, that's that's what I love. I think in the second half of the conversation, you kind of hear uh, our love that God has shown us that he has for us and that love that we can reflect to other human beings. I mean, ultimately, that is truly the end goal of our lives is to love God and to love one another as ourselves. So though we disagree in areas, but we agree on, on key tenets of our living. So enjoy the conversation. Hopefully you pick out, as I always say, pick out one thing that you can take away and that you can think about and, you know, what I call as mental digestion. You know, take one aspect and think about it, write about it, talk about it, and, uh, you know, even record about it, just like we are doing in this podcast. So enjoy the conversation. I'll talk to you guys at the end of this episode. Brilliant analysis, Chris. Really appreciate that. You know, I've been following, you know, Calvinism now maybe eight years, right? Um, I haven't studied as extensively as you have studied, um, but I think... um, you know, I've taken some time off. I, I served on the elder board, what we call the session, but I've uh, just stepped down now um, to study and to teach, you know, and to kind of disciple. That's that's the goal because if you look at the command, Jesus said, right, I mean, all authority has been given on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples. So I'm like, Okay, so if that is the command, then I think we should just execute that more focused way without being distracted. So God kind of, but I think this will be a, uh, this is new to me, but what you're saying, I know we've, we've had, you know, one or two instances where we've interacted around this, but I think it'd be a good, um, good topic to pursue. Um, because I want to ask you a question following this. And obviously for any theology, there's going to be a therefore. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, so what do you think are kind of the implications of, you know, not really buying into what the popular narrative, in, you know, is or has been? What would that mean? Well, uh, it would, uh, I think, make people help people recognize that uh, they are completely responsible for their own sins. They cannot blame a sin nature. I mean, this idea, this thing that we say often, uh, oh, he's only human. Or we excuse our own sin saying, I'm not Jesus Christ, man. I'm just a guy. Uh, So, I mean, we we excuse ourselves. We may not have all this theology behind us, but it's so pervasive in the in the in the in the environment that we live in that it's that a lot of people find it acceptable to say a thing like that a lot of people find it acceptable to say that um, you're never going to live a holy life here on earth jesus commanded you be ye holy as i am holy but why have we made it okay to say that 
uh, you're never going to be holy. You can always strive to be. You will always fall. You will always fall every day. And then we, um, we couch it in, you know, church language. What is it called? Christianese. We, ch- we, we couch it in Christianese to make us sound holy even while we are sinning, you know. Oh, I thank God for the grace he's shown me. I keep falling every day. Yeah, man, that's not an excuse to fall every day. The grace that God has given you is so that you can live a holy life. It's the strength that he gives you to live a sanctified life, right? But we keep saying stuff like, yeah, uh, just thank God for his grace. And then we excuse all our sins behind that. We have failed to recognize that God's given us his grace the grace that he's given us is not just for salvation. The grace that he's given us also helps us to live a sanctified life. And that's a strength that God gives us. He's given us his Holy Spirit. The scripture says that you will not have a temptation that you cannot overcome. And yet we allow ourselves to be overcome repeatedly by temptations and then continually say, I am falling back on the grace of God. No doubt, all of us sin. I sin. And it's not a question about not sinning. It's a question about not excusing ourselves by falling back on the idea that it's okay. I have a sin nature. God's still working on me. God is still working on me. There's no doubt about that. The, it, it doesn't give you that fallback option. Every time I sin, I am acutely aware of my failing. And I go back to Christ knowing that I am fully responsible for what I have done. I cannot excuse uh, the way I was born. I cannot excuse the place I was born. I cannot excuse myself uh, for my upbringing. I cannot give all of these excuses and say that's the reason why I did this today. Right? I am responsible for my sins. And so I think it it pushes us to live a holy life. Uh, I'm not saying that we'll be perfect. Uh, God has asked us, Jesus has asked us to be holy as he is holy. Um, I think that is something that we should strive for. Um, that's, so that's one, one implication. The other implication of this, uh, and it has to do with Christ himself, If we say that humans are born with a sin nature, does that mean that the incarnate Jesus was born with a sin nature? The answer from the other side would be no, because his mother and daddy, uh, or rather his mother and Joseph, uh, did not have a union through which Christ was born. Christ was born without intercourse, right? The Holy Spirit of God came upon Mary and uh, Christ came out. Okay, so now that raises a lot of interesting questions. So was when Jesus in the was in the womb, did it take nine months for Mary to be pregnant with Jesus? Or was she at the ninth month when the Holy Spirit came upon her, right? We know that it took some time because she went, she goes, she sees uh, uh, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. And, 
he comes back and then there's a time. So it's about, there is a time of about nine months before Jesus is born, right? So mm. then it's not like in WandaVision where suddenly on the third day or second day. <laughs> so it's, you've got Mary going through what's a normal delivery process with an incarnate being growing in the womb of Mary. Now, was there an umbilicus? Was Jesus given nutrition through Mary's food intake? Wouldn't that give the blood of Mary into Jesus? If that did give the blood of Mary into Jesus and if Mary was born with a sin nature, wouldn't Jesus have a sin nature? And so Jesus keeps growing up, he gets delivered, and then, uh, well, if Jesus was uh, fed by Mary uh, before he was weaned, wouldn't that give him the sin nature? Um, I mean, so all of these questions are interesting questions where it implicates Christ himself as having been born with a sin nature. Now, let's say he wasn't born with a sin nature. Let's say uh, Mary was just, uh, uh, let's just say Jesus was plopped in there and uh, the incarnate Jesus just grew for nine months. And uh, let's just say there was no umbilicus. And let's just say that Jesus was not fed by Mary before he was weaned. And let's say Jesus did not have a sin nature. Now, later on in the Bible, it says that he was tempted in every way as we are. There's no way that that, that, that I think is that argument fails, I guess. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it, 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 yeah, he did take on the nature of Mary. There's no doubt about that. Because, you know, I think we refer to him as God man. Right. So it's, he's got two natures. That's right him one is of man no i i know where you're going this is it's a strong argument it definitely is a strong argument i never i never to be honest with you i've never thought about uh, what you just said right now so, so you should write it down <laughs> no i have i have good, if, good. He, if he did not have a sin nature can we really say that he was tempted in every way as we are right um if he wasn't tempted in every way as we are, can he really be our high priest? Mm. Right? Can a person who has not gone through tempt now tempted in every way as we are could simply they could you could possibly argue against that saying that all the temptations that are, is given to all mankind was also given to him. But you cannot really say that he was tempted in the way that we are tempted because he did not have a sin nature to fight against. Right? Um, so that's another implication of believing that we are all born sinful, uh, sorry, with a sin nature. Now, if I say that I'm not born with a sin nature and I grow up, I am a sinner. If I say that I'm not born with a sin nature, I know that I'm fully responsible for my own sins. If I'm fully responsible for my own sins, I cannot blame God for having made me this. 
Mm. <laughs> right? It's like you put sin nature in me and then you blame me for having it. So that's one that's another implication. Another implication is that it it comes to the question of let's say uh you believe that god makes the body and god makes the soul and god makes the spirit i believe that i believe that god makes the body soul and spirit now if god makes the body soul and spirit when does he put the sin nature in there so it, these are difficult questions that need to be answered usually what happens when these kind of questions are asked is that uh, uh, a lot of terms are used theological terms are used uh, but i have not find i've not really found a convincing argument very often people say these things are deep it is too difficult to understand it is a mystery that's acceptable but not if there's a better explanation you can say that it's a you can't say that it is a mystery and then say that there's no doubt this is the truth unless it's clearly mentioned in scripture right so that's one of the implications and one of the main implications that i find really troubling really troubling is let's say we are born with a sin nature what about all those infants that died in infancy so if you're saying they have a sin nature and you're saying they have the guilt of adam would that mean that those infants never go to heaven would they be tormented in hell forever that's something that i find extremely troubling um suppose you say that infants are born with sin nature and let's think about all those aborted infants through no fault of their own someone decided that they should be aborted and then they spend an eternity in hell for not having well not having even grown big enough to know what faith is to have faith right so these are some of the implications of believing in a sin nature and so those are i think difficult questions that need to be answered there are people who have said that um those babies who die in infancy even though they have adam's guilt they all go to heaven i'm fine with that if they go to heaven uh, the only issue is uh, would that mean that there are guilty people in heaven right would that mean that there are people who have not accepted christ in heaven then some of them will say no you know after they die in infancy they grow up to an age that they that you know the gospel is given to them and then they choose christ or not but the scripture says you have one life and after that the judgment right so th- that explanation doesn't really fly 
yeah so these are some of the implications i feel that uh, have to be faced if we do believe in a sin nature um yeah these are difficult questions for anyone uh, but yeah you know so i've been honestly i've been reticent to this view but listening to you today chris um you know kind of causes a pause for me because i think you have a, a valid argument mm-hmm. and i think a is a a set of questions that need to be answered consistent to the view right so the implication follows the the premise right um the application of that premise follows it has to follow right it has to be consistent it has to be both ways consistent right this got to be a two way street which has to be consistent so appreciate you sharing uh, you know uh, your thoughts around this and if you have some material why don't you have you published that material or not not really no i'm still uh, studying and still writing i i i want to make sure that um see um i've got books i've got probably around 20 or 30 books on just original sin sin nature total depravity everything from uh, andrew murray uh, burkauer um i mean there's a lot of calvinist authors in there there's uh, madium and reeves and there's a lot of people in there fr tenant and all of that um there's a lot of reading to be done there's a lot of uh, yeah so if you, if you if you have some even material we can publish that right we can publish that and and have people think about you know what they what they mean the other implication that i thought about is evangelism right evangelism meaning sharing the gospel with folks right um it you know does it disincentivize uh us even sharing knowing that whoever is part of that limited atonement uh you know if they are going to be saved Uh, obviously we don't we will be culpable if we say we do not share the gospel right you know woe unto me if i don't preach the gospel paul says so i think it's an excuse but there's a you know there is a p- potential disincentive for people to not be as uh you know enthralled by sharing the you know the gospel with everybody yes uh yeah, it's muted I'm right it could be muted i'd like to argue for your side first before i tell you about my side from the calvinist perspective the best argument that they have there's two one is it's been commanded and that's why i do it right to share the gospel and the second argument that they have is the number may be limited but uh you know you never know if the you never know who it is exactly part of that limited uh is part of that atonement is part of you know what is one of those whom christ had died for so those are i think the two strongest arguments from the reformed side uh, personally um, uh, i would think that i let's just go back to the scripture very often uh, the word synergism has been looked down upon and it's been uh, what almost maligned but in fact if you go back to the scriptures 
the word synergist or synergism is used repeatedly and it is used not as we think about it but rather it is used with regards to the evangelizer it's used with regards to the preacher and it talks about the preacher being uh, the evangelizer or the evangelist being a co-worker with god and the words used there in the greek are synergeo you know and the different uh, forms of synergism in other words in the greek synergeo and uh, you are working with god when you preach the gospel to somebody else mm. and in the word synergism is in the scriptures even though we never translate it like that because in the greek it's synergeo or all its different forms in the greek Um, so there is synergism in the bible but it's not synergism as we think about it it's not a synergism between the person who accepts the message and god rather it's a synergism between the evangelist and god there repeated there are multiple times in scripture where i mean if you uh, there's this app called nasb literal word app it's an excellent app simply because it's got uh all of these greek and hebrew terms that you can check in the english nasb it has got mm-hmm. this search option and then you know you click on something and you can get all the places where that greek word comes or that hebrew word comes it's really useful and so uh, that would be a good concordance style exercise for anybody uh to go back and yeah. check i have so, a app called blue letter bible yes it's it's got yes. a similar you know yeah. kind of feature yeah. Yeah, yeah. So but they don't have a app for desktop unfortunately okay so it's only for devices yeah try to go yeah you go back and check coworker fellow worker terms like this uh, it's talking about the evangelist working with god now think about it in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and he gave over the entire earth to adam and eve saying you know take care of this you know any time any of us become creative you know making writing code if you are an engineer you know coming up with new chemicals as antibiotics um all this creative work that people do you are doing it with god and the highest work that we could be doing with god synergistically even as the bible itself calls it is to preach the gospel yeah so that beautiful self need incentive to preach the gospel right so it's it's really you know your your argument is really it's not because somebody just told me and therefore i have to do this tick in the box command or i don't know who it is so i just do it for the sake of you know you know uh, but it really is something be- much more beautiful than just yeah. you know yeah that's yeah that's a, that's an awesome view of you're a co-worker with god imagine if i was told i am a co-worker with the ceo of the company that i work at or the hospital that i work at what kind of drive would i have to do the work that you know is given to me Mm. that being said i wouldn't uh, put down any evangelism that anybody does because ultimately it is the name of christ that must be preached and right. i am always uh, always happy to know 
when someone comes to Christ. And so, uh, no, definitely, definitely, yeah. I, I think it's the it's the mental view of what the privilege is. I think any action, like Paul says, you know, whether you do it with uh, you know good intention or you know contempt in your heart, Christ is free, so I'm happy. But I think it's just about the the way we approach it. Right? We can always um, engineer the way we approach it in our heads, right? So you are you are motivated to do it all the time, yes. right? Because, it, yeah, you have a reason. And in fact, uh, we mustn't just look at it as something that finishes over here. We must look at it as something that will give us rewards in the coming life, right? It's come to a point now when it's not popular to say you will... You you should do this just for the sake of doing it, you know, just to follow right. the command. No, I mean, the scriptures themselves says that you know, for the treasure laid, what was it? For the prize set before him, he went forth and did that, right? Yeah. So for the joy uh, set before him, he endured the cross, right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, you look back at Isaiah where it talks about that in Isaiah fifty three. And uh, towards the end of Isaiah 53, it talks about, you know, the, the kind of glory that he would receive, the prize that he would receive at the end of it. So if the Bible, Bible itself says that this is a good motivation for you to have, why do we stop people from having that motivation? Mm. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So I don't know if I've been talking to, uh, you know, um, an MD. Or I'm talking to a theologian, <laughs> but I know Chris, you love you love to read. You you've really invested a lot of time. You know, I, I know personally that you also, you know, have invested time to um, read the original languages, right? Both the Hebrew and the and the Greek. Am I right in in both the languages? Right. So, yeah, I'm I'm still very slow reading it, uh, but yes, I do read it. Yeah, yeah. So which is which is phenomenal, right? Which I think is God has given you a gift. There's no doubt about it. You know, to be able to cram in all of this information and kind of help synthesize it in a way that will then have implications on you know, life, life choices, you know, motivations, and um, you know, hopefully inspiration for people to you know pursue. Right? He's worth the investment, right? <laughs> It's the highest. I yeah, I agree with you that this is the highest um, calling is to pursue him, right? I don't think what there's anything now. What you said just now that that is amazing. You know, uh, all of these people who say stuff like, uh, "I used to be an engineer and I used to be the head of this and the head of that, but I gave it all up." <laughs> You know, you gave up junk to become an event. That's how we should be saying it. I know, I know. Yeah, and I think it's it's. I think we need more folks like you and I are thinking that this is not a side gig, right? And uh, you know, people. People, you know, I, I've I've corrected people. You know, at least corrected. I I, I might be. I might be um, pharisaical in thinking that correction, uh, but I've challenged people. I think that's a good way to say it. Challenge people to kind of say, all of us 
are full-time workers. Our places where we go to work is different. Some go to the church building. Some go to the office. It's You're, you're never part-time in, in this calling, right? So, um, and why would you not want to share something that brings so much joy to you? You should be an ultimately selfish person, <laughs> you know, that you have unlimited of something, of wealth, of, of joy, of peace, of, of, of all that we receive from him. Why would you not want to share? I mean, this is ultimate selfishness. I think if you cannot share, and I could be sounding judgmental, but, um, but if you think for a moment that if, if I thought for a moment I had unlimited cash, would I not share? Would I not say, come and take it? I'm not shoving it down people's throat, but at least offering it, right? Saying, hey, there's so much money here. Eh? Why don't you take it? Right. Um, so yeah, that um, you know, we might 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 sound judgmental, but I'm, I'm conscious of that. But I also, I, I don't think we should pull the punches there to kind of challenge one another and say, "Hey, I think we can do better." Right, in terms of how we're thinking. Yeah. yeah. For for introverts, uh, it may be a little harder, but uh, me personally, I, I faced a huge challenge in trying to. Uh, preach the gospel to others. And so I found a workaround kind of thing uh, because it's very difficult for me to figure out. So a lot of people say, oh, you're you're a doctor, man. You can preach the gospel to everybody. Uh, what a lucky fellow you are. Uh, you know, such a great ministry. I'm like, uh, when am I exactly supposed to tell the gospel to him just before I write his prescription? <laughs> You know, that's that's something that makes people a little comf- uncomfortable, you know. It's like the barber who, you know, tells the gospel and, you know, asks, will you accept just as the blade is coming near the neck? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I had uh, quite a, a tough time figuring out what to do, when to tell. And... Uh, the, the the way I worked around it was I haven't done this for a while, uh, but when I used to, what I used to do was I found that people are not, um, they're not put off when a Bible is offered to them. And they're more than happy to receive Bibles. So generally what I do is, um, especially uh, mostly only in my OPDs, um, and I'm seeing cases in my clinic, uh, not clinic rather, it's, it's an OPD, so outpatient department. So after I've taken the history and uh, examined the patient and uh, finished everything, if I needed investigations, get the investigations done, come to a diagnosis and then give them the treatment. After all that's done, then I offer, offer them a new testament. and. Almost everyone accepts. I've almost never had anyone say no to taking a Bible. And um, that has been a great encouragement for me. That has been a great encouragement because once the treatment is written, they don't have anything to fear from you. 
you know you've done all that you need to do right mm. it's all right so you're not holding the blade to their neck and saying will you accept now <laughs> kind of thing mm. it, it's more like uh, i've done what i've th- what i've uh, understood is the best treatment that you could receive i've done what i believe is the best for you uh, i hope i've treated you well um this is a bible that we have would you like to have it you know mm. Mm. and i keep It's, the bible on the mm. table uh, in front of them throughout the whole meeting uh, just so that if they want to say no uh, they would already have an answer prepared in their mind how to say no right i don't want springing to, a surprise on them exactly i don't want to spring a surprise on them so it would it's not one bible it will usually be a bunch of bibles and when there's a bunch of bibles anywhere everybody knows it's not for me to uh, keep it on the table right they know it's right. to away so it's uh, it's so that and and of course if there is a man and a woman who comes in always offer it i always offer it fully to the man um because if he's the he's the husband he's the head of the family he has the right uh to determine what goes into his house and while i might want him to take it um i should never cause a friction between his wife and uh him and that's a, uh, now that being said uh if in in fact when female patients come alone into the opd i always Uh, get the husband to come in along with them or um, you know a male um, in there from their own family because you don't want to spring this as a surprise you don't want to fe- make them feel cheated you don't want to mm. make them feel like uh, they didn't have time enough to prepare how to say no you know uh, all of those kind of things um, ideally yes they should um, but yeah it's it's not something that you would want to shove down somebody's throat you present to them uh, a spirit filled person uh, revealing the fruit of the spirit uh, a christ like person um and you hope that they take the bible home you hope that they read the bible you hope mm. that you know um, they come to know christ through reading the bible and so because i am shy to preach the gospel i mean like i said when do you preach the gospel to these people mm. when they are coming to you for help in the clinic right so this is a work around that i've found um yeah 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 it's fascinating fascinating um yeah i've i've tried to kind of look at opportunities and uh by the way this might interest you for some weird reason i was writing it down yesterday um two things one is uh, so i was listening to who was i listening to i was listening to a a, a news article or interview with a couple guys you know i know you and i spoke about critical race theory you know get into it we'll come back to it at some point right we we have to talk through it because i think it's it is t- that's taken off and it has kind of spread into 
you know, not spread, but it has been evangelized, let's put it that way, across the world now, across the US at least, for sure, um, or across the Western society. Um, but to kind of, he, so there was a teacher who was being interviewed. He was actually let go from his school. He was a mathematics teacher and he kind of opposed uh, that. I'll send you the article. I actually sent the article on the discussions forum, so you probably would have seen that. Okay, um, you could you could take take a look at it. But interesting, he was talking of <laughs> this word called seduce and educe. So it's interesting. So seduce, you know. So I was like, oh, wait a minute, let me kind of do this, you know, word search. So seduce is to lead astray, right? And educe is to bring out or develop. So education, when they say educe, is, is kind of bring out or develop. Then you mentioned didactic, which is deduce. Essentially, right? It's, it's deducing or actually arriving at by reasoning. And there's another one called induce. <laughs> you probably know, you know, from a, Maya always gets induced, you know, IVIG. Um, so, so there's another bring. So I was trying to look at this bring about or give rise to. And obviously the Holy Spirit does not seduce us, but he does do all the rest of the things. Right. Educe, bring out, right. Deduce, help us arrive. And then induce, bring about or give rise to. It's quite fascinating to see that because, you know, I, I, I probably have told you this, but, you know, just for the record. You are one of the ones that you are the first doctor to actually deduce what uh, Maya had as condition. You remember that, right? Uh, many, many years ago, I sent you the report. So I know for sure what your patients are getting in terms of, you know, the diagnosis, the reporting, the really understanding to reading. And uh, I, I want to tie that back to what I was reading yesterday. I was, uh, by the way, I'm making a 10 minute video for mom every day. So I've been doing this for this, um, you know, this whole year, 2021. It's been fascinating. So I, you should attempt to do that as well. I know you read, but like if you can summarize what, what you read, like in 10 minutes and then video log it, it's awesome. Yeah. So we, that, you know, so you should do, you should do that. But I was do I was doing that in the context of that. I was reading Philippians 4.4. It was quite fascinating. It's 4.4 to 4.7 says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And I was like, rejoicing, reasonableness, Lord is at hand, right? Fascinating combination that when the Lord is at hand, meaning when you recognize his presence more and more, when you kind of engage with him, the one thing that you get out of it is, is you, you're joyful all the time. Irrespective of, it's not that you're happy and you're smiling year to year, but there's this... Uh, Something has gripped you so much, right? And I can sense that, right, Chris, that you, what you're saying is essentially saying that. Uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but there's a there's a joy that has gripped our souls that we cannot contain it. But the way it comes out, I was just shocked by that because I, I wanted to spend more time thinking. I didn't spend time thinking. You know, I probably spent 30 minutes thinking about it. Reasonableness. It's like, how can we go from rejoicing, which 
your your imagery is jumping up and down somebody is really jumping up and down with so much of joy and then reasonableness meaning you know the i looked at the original word of that is really equity equitable you know kind of a you know just like thinking like sane right the, the ultimate sanity right that's what it, you know kind of is kind of getting to the root word was getting to is like wow it all comes with recognition that god is at hand so i can sense that chris you know in in terms of what you are uh, what you're doing and what you're going through and what you're now you need to write it down legacy you know in some sense and pass it on <laughs> right yeah so and, and just to correct yeah. myself what i said a little earlier um one of the reasons i call in uh, mail okay so now you'll understand that i'm the kind of guy who thinks about what he said repeatedly wondering if he can improve it uh you can call in a male patient in to my opd before giving in a bible is because that is the culture that i live in mm. it is uh a cult the culture that i live in it's there's, there's no other way to put it that yeah. is uh, yeah it's also it's also respecting i i think what do you mean if i understand you right is you you want to respect the dynamic that's there within the family which i think is awesome Absolutely. and in some sense we when we read the bible i know we, we want to make it gender equal right you know it's a pressure from the culture to make it gender equal but it's written to men a lot like brothers brothers i know we want to make brothers and sisters uh but a lot of the passages are to men saying get your act straight because when you straighten out most likely your family is going to straighten out because of your lack of you know because of a lack of accountability or your you know or our meaning not your mean our lack of uh, you know abdication of our responsibility our families kind of go you know south right so if you if you study the crisis that's happening even in the united states right it's absentee fathers that's causing a lot of spiraling cascading effect uh you know it doesn't have to do with any race all races we have a challenge with fathers who are absent doesn't mean they're not in the house they could be in the house and be absent doesn't matter right some are not in the house that's truly absentee you have nothing to that single parenting challenge especially mothers and i know how it feels like because dad passed away so my mom a single mom but absentee fathers in the house being absent meaning abdicating the responsibility and so it's like pointing to men saying wake up right yes. so so i want to read that into the scripture I, i'm not misinterpreting because in some sense it's just written to brothers wake up tony <laughs> evans has a few books on that the kingdom man uh that kind he's got a set it's quite good it's great who's that tony evans tony tony evans oh yes yes i saw the movie as well um i don't know if you saw the movie did you see the movie kingdom uh, man he released the movie so you can actually i think he may be on youtube now it may be on youtube or netflix i, I think netflix yeah. potential i'll i'll find out the details send it to you yeah, yeah. so uh, i don't know if you have more time maybe we got 
20 minutes more, right? Um, I want to let you go with you to be with your family and uh, likewise mine as well. But let me let me look at the questions, some of the questions that I had. I think I got, I think we covered most of uh, most of it. Um, yeah, so put you on the spot a little bit here. Um, if you were to say, if you were to look back on your life and threshold, you know, in heaven and look back, or or look forward to kind of thinking about what would be the three most important things you want to kind of accomplish. Top three. I'm sure there are more, but. The only thing that we accomplish that lasts forever is um, how you impact the kingdom. And so, um, of course, it starts with the family, but then it works outwards um, into how you impact Christendom throughout the world. And so for my own family, I want them to recognize uh, the importance of reading the Bible and praying every day. And so praying every day is something that I have attempted to do uh, with my family as far as possible. There are days when I'm on 24-hour duties and I can't do that. And there are some days even on 24-hour duties, I've attempted to do that, you know, WhatsApp calls and pray with the family. But reading, studying the Bible and praying every day, if I am consistent in doing this, and this is the age at which, I mean, my kids are small, so it's the age at which they mimic everything that you do. They want to do what you do. They want to be like daddy. They want to be like mommy. So uh, if I can show them that these things are important to me, they will carry that forward in their life. Now, when you say studying the Bible and praying, it, 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 Obviously, um, for me, that also includes uh, what the canon is. And for me, the canon that we have right now is ideal in the Protestant church. That is, as far as my knowledge goes, that's the best canon that we have. I, uh, there's this book that I got. It lists out all the canons about 14 canons mm. um, from the early church. And that book is quite good. And almost all of them agree with our Protestant canon. Uh, surprisingly, Jerome, who translated the Latin Vulgate, he himself wanted us uh, to be limited to what we today call the Protestant canon. But uh, he was forced to translate uh, the extra books because kind of like how we have it with the KJV versus the rest of the Bible, you know, rest of the versions. They say they've taken so much out of scripture, you know. Mm. Uh, it's, it's kind of the same allegation that was leveled against Jerome when he was reticent about translating the other books of the Bible. So then he had to ultimately do all of that. But there are a lot of these people in the early church who kind of, agree with our Old Testament canon. Uh, 
That being said, I want my kids to know that the Septuagint is a faithful translation of the Old Testament. Uh, the Septuagint has the extra books. So I don't want those extra books in the canon, but the books that are translated into the Greek Septuagint, I want to drill it into the kids and into the seminaries and uh, pastors and academicians anywhere that the Septuagint is as reliable uh, a translation of the Old Testament as you can get. Simply mm. because when the New Testament writers are quoting the Old Testament, often they are quoting the Septuagint. And uh, that gives you an idea of the kind of uh, trust that they placed in the, in the, the Septuagint. So, yeah, for, my, for me to impact my family, of course, something I'd like to impact uh, seminaries and churches all over the world is to help them recognize the importance of the Greek translation of our Protestant canon, the Old Testament, right? Mm. That mm. along with this theology. Now, when I, when, when I say these things, like as I spoke about total depravity, um, uh, most people in the Reformed Church would not find it difficult to say that, you know, I've gone off on a tangent or, you know, he hasn't really understood scriptures or, you know, he's a heretic or something like that. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that for the first 400 years, um, what I said was what the early church writers believed. And it was only around the time of Augustine, maybe Ambrose, uh, where this idea of um, depravity comes in. Uh, right. And so, and even when they used the term, they didn't use it with the same understanding that Augustine later used it in life. We must understand that Augustine himself was continuously changing his theology. Uh, Augustine was a Stoic. Augustine later became a Neoplatonist. Augustine then became a Manichaean Gnostic. He was that for about 10 years. Uh, and then it's after that that he becomes uh, a Christian. And as soon as he becomes an Orthodox, as soon as he becomes a new a babe, baby Christian, uh, he completely gives up all of his Manichaean beliefs and he's continuously writing against them. And so if you read... Augustine's writings, uh, the first few years of his life after he becomes a Christian, his writings are all talking about free will and, you know, all of that kind of talk. And then later on, towards the end of his life, uh, he uses, he begins for whatever reason to use arguments similar to those that he had rebutted when he had first become a Christian. And so um, we have to understand that Augustine himself moved along a spectrum when, when uh, throughout his life. So that's, that's one thing. I, I, I need people to understand that the theology that we have and, and, and what I'm trying to say is you don't need to look to the early church fathers or church writers to make your theology. That's not necessary. 
everybody says uh you know this thing was made heretic then that thing was made heretic then i mean uh, do you know that in the council of nicaea probably the last i think the last canon uh, was something about when you pray in church you must pray standing so if you don't pray standing when you are in church you are not following the council of nicaea how many people know that uh, there's a lot of things like this rules that were brought about in church uh, church councils and all of these things which today we'll find quite um, difficult to confront for example if you have to bring an allegation against a priest or a bishop uh, if you were already caught uh, you know in a put in jail for something or caught doing some sin or something uh, your word had very little weight you know uh, so anyone who's been to jail can easily be wronged and they wouldn't be it would be very difficult for them to get justice similar things so my point was i'm not trying to point to the early church writers to say that this was the original theology therefore follow what i teach no my point is if i've got early church writers on my side you say you've got early church writers on your side early church writers don't determine whether we are going to heaven or hell let's go to the scriptures and see what's written exactly. in there get back to the bible and see what the bible teaches you know yeah you and i concur on that because i think we put tradition history as this is not just orthodox catholic or protestants right reformed we put we put our historical figures above the bible and so we we almost do eisegesis using uh historicity and and whatever has been recorded so we kind of read calvin into the bible rather than say hang on a second is calvin emerging from the bible and this is a challenge that we have across the patch um even all christian documentation and sometimes books and curriculums and course material is sometimes driven not meaning to say that we should not launch it, uh, app, you know get after it but it's reading a framework into the bible rather than allowing the bible to define the framework i've always kind of resisted that uh you know in my conversations and in some of my discussions that i've had you know among leaders in the in the community and church is like let the framework emerge rather than um take a framework and then find the verses that's right That's yeah. Right. So you and I and agree on the approach. One of the things that was taught to me as soon as I became a new believer um was how to study the Bible. And so there was a few uh rules that were told to me when you're making a doctrine this is the way it's supposed to be. One of them was scripture interprets scripture. Right. Right? The plain meaning of the scripture is the right meaning of scripture unless uh you know the context informs you otherwise mm. so i mean there's a few few like that i mean um when when you're studying a particular topic 
go to all the verses that use that particular word like for example if you're studying baptism go to all the verses that have the word baptism baptize baptizing all of that and then you put it all together see what comes out of it you know right um, right stuff like that so for me when i first came to the scriptures uh studying the bible was a beauty i mean it was beautiful i just reading it and uh, just making my own notes and you know th- th- that first fire that you get when you're first saved man uh, that's that's something else and you were talking about the joy that grips you right there's something that i've always wanted to talk about um the presence of the lord in mm-hmm. my life and um it's when you have the presence of god in your life it is something that is it's it's almost tangible it's real it's it's not uh something you're thinking up not something you're imagining it's not emotional mm. it, it is an app it is a it's a boldness that you can't explain right, right. and right that, it's that's really something so when you told me about the joy of the lord gripping you It, that's the first thing that came to my mind presence yeah. of the lord that that absolute confidence that no matter what happens you'll be fine yeah yeah and and what what you're concluding is essentially what's here let me just read through you know when we said philippians chapter 4444 through 7 uh it says the lord is at hand do not be anxious about anything this is like you know extremes mm-hmm. right i mean paul loves to use words that explain you know the extremities he says do not be anxious about anything but in everything so don't be anxious about anything but in everything it says by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god and then he follows on to say and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding amazing will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus so that's the experience that you're talking of that is inexplicable to just be an intellectual exercise it's a it's an exercise of being right um and then it kind of follows into you do the same way right um uh and you know i i'm not shocked that you you will you are good at what you do which is you you know you're practicing medicine i'm not shocked that you know god has made me to do well in what i do which is process and an operation so that's what i do but i've seen that there's there's a parallel to us understanding who god is and not just understanding what god is doing because i think that's a there's that battle between like being i want to understand who this person is versus what he is doing because obviously you only know a person in what he does right for god so loved he gave meaning in the giving you understand he loved right so there's a tension but we sometimes get stuck with just what he's doing therefore what i should do rather than understanding the personality person of christ through the scripture so i think in the last in the past years in the past decade at least god has kind of redirected my thought to do you want to know my face or do you want my hand <laughs> you know the face we like face to face because you know there's a joy in in having a face to face 
rather than you know the kids always look at your hand saying what is that i have in his hand is he have a cake <laughs> you know it's a it's a growing process right so now we when we go to our parents you know we, we don't look at what they have in their hands we want to see their faces so we matured in that in that uh, thing that we no more are looking for things that so so what what you're saying chris and what i was meditating is kind of you know aligned and god has brought it about i i need to meditate a little bit about rejoicing and reasonableness so how do we become more sane when we are joyful the so when we detach when we when we kind of detach from the fellowship in the spirit i think we start to become unreasonable whether it's at work or whether it's at home or whatever we become more reasonable and more joyful as we are more plugged in to the presence co-workers right you said co-regions co-workers with uh, with the holy spirit and with jesus christ himself yeah cool so 9:45 we spent 2 hours 45 minutes believe it or not 2 and a half hours at least um you know um anything that you would like to say that i didn't ask or we didn't discuss anything or maybe we can discuss the next topic <laughs> what we want to speak about in the next go around <laughs>